Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever heard of the if-onlys? Raise your hand if you've heard of the if-onlys before. Okay, a few of you. Over the years, I've sort of mentioned the the if-onlys in my sermons here and there. And most often in the pastor world or in the psychology world, when we talk about the if-onlys, we're talking about the past. And we're talking about the lens or the goggles or the glasses that we look at in the past, through the past. Through these lenses, we look at the past. Most often, when we've lost someone in our lives due to death, we look back on the past and we view this time in our life as part of the grieving process, and it's called the if-onlys. And it kind of goes like this. You may have experienced it in your life before. If only I would have spent more time with her. If only we would have followed the doctor's orders. If only the doctor would have diagnosed correctly. If only we had driven a different route to the hospital, we would have got there on time. She would have lived. If only we hadn't fought that morning. I could have said, I love you one last time. If only this, if only that, if only. And when we talk about the if-onlys in the grief world, the if-onlys can be brutal. The if-onlys can suck the life out of you. And it can lead you down this vicious path of anxiety. And if you think about the if-onlys, the if-onlys, they don't only surface from grief that comes from death. But the if-onlys can surface from grief that comes from divorce, uh, that comes from regret or remorse over a bad decision that was made. Or when something wrong has been done to us in our life beyond our control. In fact, anything that brings loss into our lives, it also brings grief. And that grief can lead us down the if-only road. The thing about the if-onlys, though, is that we don't only talk about them with reference in the past as well. They can come into the present. They can sort of cloud and shadow our vision of the future and our perceptions of the future. In fact, Pastor Max Lucado, he writes about the if-onlys. He he talks about it metaphorically. He says, the widest river in the world is not the Mississippi River. It's not the Amazon River. It's not the Nile River. He says, the widest river on earth is a body of water called if-only. And when he writes about it, he says, tons of people are standing on its banks and they're casting their eyes, their longing eyes over the waters. They desire to cross over to the other side, but they can't find the ferry. They're convinced that if they could cross the if-only river, they could get on over to the other side where the good life exists. If only I were thinner, I'd have a good life. If only I were richer, I'd have the good life. If only the kids would come. If only the kids were gone. If only I could leave home. If only I could move home. If only I could get married. If only I could get divorced. Then I would have the good life. If only my skin were clear of pimples, if only my calendar would be free of people, if only my profession was immune to layoffs, then I would have the good life. And we've done this in our lives, right? We could go on and on. If only then I'd have the good life. And I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to stand on that shore often. And now to be realistic, there are some things in our lives, right, that we are terrible, they're abusive, they're horrible, that if we were to get out of them, our lives would be better on a certain level. But I'm not talking about that this morning. What we're talking about this morning is standing on that shore of the if-only river, and we get seduced. We get seduced by thinking that certain things will lead us to the good life. But they're always empty, and they won't lead us to the good life. 
If I buy this, then. If I have that promotion, then. If I, my politician was elected, then. If I could only get through this transition that I'm going through, then. If I only had a relationship with her or with him, then. I'd have the good life. And that sort of life, that sort of way of living, it contributes to a life of anxiety, a life of fear, a life of worry. It drives us to work more hours. It drives us to borrow more money. It drives us to take on new projects. It drives us to pile up more responsibilities and stress and short nights and long days and debt, thinking that that stuff is going to pay for the ticket, for the ferry, to get across the if-only river on the other side to the good life. If only then. And that's where St. Paul comes to us this morning. He says, not so quickly, my friends. Because St. Paul would say that the good life begins not when the circumstances around us change, but when our attitude changes toward them. Our text that we're going to look at this morning is the exact same text from last week, Philippians chapter 4, which, by the way, is a good reminder for us today that the Word of God needs to be digested over and over and over again. We call that meditation. And when we spend time with one scripture passage longer than just one day, when we let it seep into our lives and soak into our beings, it invites us into a re- richer and deeper understanding and reflection of who God is, what are his purposes and his will for our life. So let's look at Philippians chapter 4 again. It's in your handout. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. So last week, Pastor Tim talked about this, right? He talked about when we have anxiety in our lives, we bring calm into our lives. Philippians 4 says celebrate rejoice right that's the sea of calm celebrate jesus celebrate god celebrate what he's done in your life then in verse five let your gentleness be evident to all the lord is near verse six do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to god so the a of calm is ask right ask god for help that's the request that's the petition the l is leave Leave your brokenness, leave your worries, leave your concerns with God, with Jesus at the cross. And then in verse 7 it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. As Pastor Tim said last week, that's the M, the meditate, to think over and over again about these good things. And so that's what we talked about last week, right? That's what we talked about, bringing calm into the midst of anxiety. See, celebrate what God has done for us. A, ask God for help. Leave our concerns with Jesus. And M, meditate, think on all the good things of God and especially his word. And so we're kind of addressing that anxiety. How do we bring calm into our life? And I don't know if Pastor Tim mentioned this last week, but Pastor Trevor did in his sermon over in the sanctuary. Some of us struggle with anxiety more than others. And I just want to throw it out there this morning that God works in a variety of ways to address the anxieties in our lives. He does it through his word. He does it through his church, through the people. He does it through therapists. He does it even through medication. And so if you're struggling with anxiety and you have found healing... Through therapy and medication, I just want to say to you, praise God for that. That's good. We're going to add to that healing power of the word of God this morning. But if you struggle with anxiety on a severe level and you need help, I encourage you this morning to pray to God to lead you to a qualified counselor or physician. Talk to me. Talk to us leaders. We can find people for you. We have connections, okay? 
That's a little sidebar. But while we talked about last week about bringing calm into the anxieties of our life through Philippians 4, there are two other words in there that we read just a moment ago that speak to the anxiety that comes into our life when we try to go down that if-only road. We often read just past these words, because Philippians chapter 4, it's like, it's one of the biggest verses out there, right? I mean, we, we look at Philippians chapter 4, it's, it's in Bible bookstores, it's on pillows, it's on bookmarks. Philippians 4 is a huge verse in the Christian community. But I want to bring up verse 6, and just look at these two little words. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, right there, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. Now, those two little words, with thanksgiving, is probably a cool way to approach this coming week. We've got Thanksgiving coming. We're going to celebrate. We're going to give thanks to God for everything that we have. But with those two words, St. Paul is saying to us that the good life begins not when circumstances change, not when the if-onlys are realized in our life, but when our attitude toward the circumstances change. St. Paul is kind of causing us to pause and think about when we address God, when we approach God, when we think about God, when we pray to God. Oftentimes it's, God, help me with this or that. God, please give me this or that. God, won't you show me this or that? The Apostle Paul challenges us this morning with two little words to say, maybe at times we should say, God, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, for this other thing in my life. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to me. The way I talk about it and around our house, sometimes at our house, the, we're not in a thankful spirit. Sometimes the kids are being a little bit a certain way. Sometimes dad is, is as well. And I say, let's have an attitude of gratitude, right? It's not a beatitude. It's not a platitude. It's an attitude. Where's Pastor Bob? I wanted to I throw that in there for him. But anyway, <laughs> we have an attitude of gratitude. And having an attitude of gratitude can change your life, Right? Gratitude is the mindful awareness of the benefits or the good things that we have in life. And studies have been done about gratitude all over the place, not just in the church, but in the secular world, in the world at large. Studies have been done that show that gratitude is amazing. Studies have been done that show that grateful people experience a bunch of ton of positive things in their life. Grateful people tend to be more empathetic. Grateful people tend to be more forgiving. Grateful people tend to be more uh, positive. Grateful people tend to have less envy. They tend to be less materialistic. They tend to be less self-centered. They tend to have better relationships. They sleep better. They live longer. I mean, if gratitude came in pill form, it would be the miracle drug. And so while God's prescription for anxiety therapy includes his word, it includes his people, it includes sometimes therapists and medicine, but it also includes a giant dose, a big old dollop of gratitude. Gratitude leads us off the riverbanks of if only, and it leads us down into a fertile valley called already. Because the anxious heart will often say, God, if I only had this, if I only had that, if I only had the other thing, then I'd be okay. But the grateful heart says, oh, God, look, you've already given me this. You've already given me that. You've already given me this other thing. Thank you, God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've encountered a number of people over the years that live this sort of life of gratitude. And I've got a list of them I could just start mentioning this morning. But they've, they've kind of incorporated this attitude of gratitude into their being. And they're just great people. 
And I gotta tell you that they've helped me grow in gratitude over the years. And I'm gonna tell you that honestly, growing in gratitude has helped me have a better life. And I could list off a bunch of people, and I wanna mention to you this morning one of our own dear members, uh, Christine Moritz. Uh, Christine Moritz, today is actually her birthday. She would have been 58 years old today. The Lord called her to her eternal rest just a few weeks ago on October 30th. We celebrated her life. We gave thanks for her life. We grieved her life on November 8th, just 10 days ago. But Christine, if you ever went on her blog, she blogged about her journey battling cancer. Over 8,000 people read this blog. One of the most amazing things about her blog was that in the midst of chemo, in the midst of treatments, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of bad news and disappointments and frustrations, on almost every post of her blog, she has at least one thing that she's thankful for. And more often than not, on her, on her blog, she'll have a list, of, a gratitude list of things that she's thankful for in the midst of her suffering. Just a couple, few months ago, she wrote on her blog, she said, a glimmer of hope. It's in August, she wrote. She says, where am I going to begin? With thankfulness. She said, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your hugs. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for hope and clarity. Thank you, God, that you blessed us with both of those. Thank you all for continuing to pray for us. I mean, she's filled with gratitude. I think we can learn a lot from Christine about the importance of thanksgiving in the midst of tough times. Because it's not that we say, and not that we don't recognize that we have terrible things, that we have horrible things, that we have challenging things that we are going through and just kind of sweep it under the rug. We admit those are hard things, but in the midst of that, we can also give thanks for what we actually already do have. And not get sucked into that if-only journey. The Apostle Paul modeled this 2,000 years ago. He focused more on what he had than what he didn't have. I mean, you got to remember the book of Philippians. It's, in the, it's a letter. He wrote this letter to the Philippians while he was in horrible circumstances. While he was in jail. He had no hope of release. And he wrote these words. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, but he says this. He says, I have learned to be content. That's happy. That's the good life. I've learned to have the good life, whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret of being content, of having the good life in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I love his words there. First, it's kind of like a secret, right? He's like, not a lot of people know about this, my friends. And I'm going to tell it to you. But he also said, I have learned. When you learn something, it takes time. You're not just going to read this verse this morning and come out and say, you know, I got 100% attitude of gratitude, right? We're going to move into Thanksgiving. Everything's honky-dory, right? St. Paul said, I have learned this over the years, cultivated over time. I know in my life that I'm still learning it. I don't have a 100% attitude of gratitude, but I'm making progress. But St. Paul says, here's the secret. Verse 13, I can do all this. I can have a, live the good life. I can be happy. I can be content in whatever circumstances I'm in through him. 
who gives me strength. Through Jesus, because of Jesus. Paul learned how to get away from the if-onlys. He learned how to get away from contentment, the good life, the happy life being based on merely circumstances alone. He got away from the addictive yet always empty cycle of if I get a car, then I'll be happy. If I get married, I'll be happy. If I get a divorce, I'll be happy. If we have a baby, then we'll be happy. If I get a new job, then I'll be happy. If I retire, then I'll be happy. If then, if then, if then. And when we live that sort of life, when we live like that, joy just it comes for just a moment, and then it diminishes. Joy comes again, then it diminishes. Joy comes again, then it diminishes. And it's kind of a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster of hope and disappointment. And over time, we become suspicious of life. Maybe even jaded toward life. That's contingent contentment. It's the if-only journey. The St. Paul from prison, he says, I got a secret for you. Paul had a jail cell instead of a house. Paul had four walls instead of a wide open mission field. He had chains instead of jewelry. He had a prison guard instead of a spouse. And we see that and we're like, man, how in the world could Paul have been content? How could he have been happy? How could he have been living the good life? He had that because he didn't have an if-only list. He had a gratitude list. He had an already list. He had a list that said, I have already eternal life. I already have the love of God. I already have been forgiven, even from murdering Christians before I was one. Lord, have mercy upon me. I have the surety of salvation already. Already I have Christ in my life. And for Paul, Christ is always enough. I mean, if you read the book of Philippians, there's only 104 verses in there. Paul mentions Jesus 40 times. It's all about Jesus. There's no other name but Jesus' name. What Paul had in Jesus Christ was far greater, far stronger than what he did not have in life. That's Paul. That's God's. That's Christine's message to us today, my friends. The message is this, that what you have in Christ, what you have in Jesus, that you have forgiveness of sins, that you have new identity, that you've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, that you have community, that you have a purpose, that you have an identity, that you have a mission, that you have a job to do, that you have a place in this world. All of that is far greater than what we don't have. St. Paul would say, that's something to be grateful for. That's something to be thankful for. My friends, that's a great place to start this week of gratitude and thanksgiving that lies before us. St. Paul says these words, verse 9, Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Do something about it. And the God of peace will be with you. And so it's my hope as we learn from Paul to focus on the already list of gratitude and not the if-only list of disappointment. It's my hope that we learn, as we learn from Christine Moritz to, to give thanks for all the blessings and all the good things we have in life, even in the midst of hard situations. It's my hope that we can also learn from our fourth graders. I got a fourth grader, and Mrs. Spink over there, she has a gratitude calendar for her kids. They open up their calendar and they write a, what's one thing that they're thankful for that day. 
And so I hope that we'll leave here today. I hope right, even right now, if you've got a pen or a pencil, write down one thing. What am I grateful for today? One thing that I'm thankful for today. I bet you if you start with one, you could add two. And if we go to two, you could probably three or four or five. You could probably have a whole list today of things that you're grateful for. Maybe you could do it on Monday, tomorrow, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, and on Thursday, wherever you're at. Whether you're with a group of people or whether you're by yourself, you can take a look at that list and say, I am grateful, I am thankful for this. Just maybe, maybe you can share that gratitude with others. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.